0: welcome back everyone to the 15th episode of the take the points podcast i'm your co-host tate seth joined as always by arjun menon where we will do our week two review talk about players that we thought that did really well and then also do our letdowns and do a preview of week three with bets we like and wrap up with our first michigan football analytics society member interview sandra serbo arjun how are you doing today
1: um great another pretty great weekend for me not only for mine and and kind of your offseason takes in general but also had a really good week of betting um i think the initial like one o'clock slate looked really trash and then uh, there was like seven teams in the first half that didn't score a touchdown Mm -hmm. and then it got really really good and so even though like my chargers weren't playing on on sunday it was still a really good weekend of football and you know there's so much to talk about
0: Yeah, no, I know to, to all the people who complained about our long episodes at the beginning of this podcast, this might be another one. Just going to warn you, uh, you know, because we, we do have to review week two. Uh, and, and yeah, there's so many good games to talk about. But let's talk about some of the bets that we uh, we gave out uh, in, in last week's episode.
1: Yeah, so I'm like, I'm like really pissed about what happened. Like, so the, we gave out four bets on the episode. We gave them a home over two and a half passing touchdowns as their bet of the week that lost Bills minus nine and a half against the Titans that easily won Ravens minus three and a half against the Dolphins, which we just saw the most utter choke job by Mm -hmm. our Ravens, which is just unfortunate. And then we gave out Lions minus two and a half. And now I will stand by this, that our analysis at the time of recording was correct, Mm -hmm. that the Lions were going to be able to do whatever they wanted on offense against this final Washington defense because they did whatever the hell they wanted against the Eagles. And then, ragnall's out jonah jackson's out so you have three weak links on this interior against jaron Payne and jonathan allen and we, we told people on our twitter like the take the points twitter that you should probably cash out if you can or, or switch to commander's money line and lions ended up covering so we're not you know because we said we you know we cashed out of that bet. we're not going to count it but you know technically we went two and two but in reality we were one and two so our season to date total minus two point eight units. So you know, long season and a lot of bad beats. Like the Ravens are up twenty one in the fourth and like, a 2 attack of Aloha. So yeah. just just a little bit unfortunate from you know our podcast perspective. But you know, I still think there's a lot of football to be played.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you know it, that's like the important thing about you know putting public bets out there is we have to be held accountable for when yeah. it doesn't go wrong. And you know we're gonna we're gonna you know uh, really. Hopefully I have, have a winning week this week, but just like do better in the future. And if it keeps going like this, then that's like a time when you adjust your process. And, you know, both of us, I think, are uh, open to, to doing that. But yeah, the, the Mahomes one is the one that was tough for me um because the over two and a half passing touchdowns look really good. He had the two passing touchdowns going into the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter was going to be close. You have a red zone sequence where they pass three times and don't score on any three of those those uh, passes. And then uh, Andy Reid kicks a field goal on fourth and one, one, almost less than one, I think. (laughs) So that can kind of take us into our Chargers Chiefs uh, discussion. Um, You know, the, the story of the night, I think, was just the fourth down decisions on both sides of the ball. And, you know, I understand that people are tired of fourth down decisions and just like how much analytics Twitter or analysts like us talk about them. But you just have to realize that when both coaches go into the game and lose a double digit amount of win probability, according to any model, ESPN's model, Ben Baldwin's model, uh, it's it's a big deal to lose that much win probability because these two teams are very close. That's the edge right there if you're one of these teams and you want to get an advantage over the other team. So it's just tough to see both Brandon Staley and Andy Reid just lose so many win probability points off kicking field goals and punting in this Thursday night game.
1: Yeah. And it it was so tough. Like all last season, Brandon, it was, it was our Brandon in Like He's he's our analytics King. Right. And like now he's doing things not according to the analytics book. And like, I don't know what changed over the off season. Like Kevin Cole, you know, posted his, the clip of him talking. He was like, we're going to flip the field. We're going to, you know, hold him. Right. But like, you're flipping the field from the plus 40 or the plus 45 that's not flipping the field. You're, you're just 30 yards. Like that's not a flipping the field at all. And then if you're that confident in your defense, which I think they should be because the Chargers defense is legit, you should be comfortable starting from the 45 or the 50 because you're probably you're just going to hold them to three. But instead, you know, you I don't know, it was just a weird sequence of events. And I mean, it's the Chargers offense just kind of was a letdown a little bit against a, a, a good Chiefs defense that looked pretty good. But I mean, do you want to do you want to talk about what you saw on Monday night before I give my spiel?
0: Yeah, I mean
1: night.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's just you know we're both like fans of the Chargers analytics uh, department, so you know it's, it's a little weird. You don't you wouldn't expect the model to change uh, from year end to year end plus one this much. So it's probably a, a thing on on Staley. But just going into the the specific players, um, you know, I think it's like when you watch Mahomes versus Herbert, like Mahomes is still the better quarterback right now. He's you know he's he's the QB one in the league, but Herbert is very close with him and at the end of the day it comes down to how many easy throws does each quarterback make right so you have mike williams had a great game you know he's one of the best contested catchers in the league but nothing's easy for herbert when he has to throw to mike williams right like like herbert to mike williams is a good connection because herbert you know has his arm strength allows him to you know put balls on wires when it would loop for other quarterbacks and but out of you know mike williams is eight targets that he had, like six of them were the contested Mm -hmm. catches. And so that's, that's really tough. Meanwhile, you have like things just feeling a lot easier for Mahomes, where when he steps back in the pocket, he's going through his progressions and he can find the open guy a lot of the times more often than not. So that's just the difference to me is right now is, is kind of the play calling and kind of like what's going on around these two quarterbacks.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of scrutiny came under Joe Lombardi after the game. I was kind of on that. Like, I didn't fully believe Lamardi was, was like, the key factor in the Chargers losing. There was a stat I posted on Twitter, like, the Chargers' average depth of route in that game was, like, 5.4, which in, in 2022 so far, excluding go routes or seam routes, the Chargers ranked 31st in average depth of route, which when you have a quarterback like herbert who has a bazooka for an arm you don't really want that right but like i I think it's important for people to realize like he was without keenan allen which is wide receiver Mm -hmm. one no other and i repeat no other player on the Chargers can separate except for keenan allen so and then you lose your all pro pro bowl center Corey lindsley during the game who's setting the pass protections at the line so that puts more stress on herbert i think we need to give a little bit of slack to lombardi because he's he had kind of a limited playbook going in because no Keenan. And then you shrink it down even more because of the Lindsley injury. And at the end of the day, they were at the four yard line, uh, 17, and 17. And then Gerald Everett, just, it was just miscommunication. And mm-hmm. uh, for Herbert's EPA per play, you know, it, it dropped from like 0.3 to like negative yeah. 0.05 because of that play alone. Herbert lost about 12 EPA from that pick six. So I I am a little bit worried about this offense just because I don't know how bad Herbert's injury is going to, sustain him over the rest of the season. I'm not like too down on Joe Lombardi going forward. I I think I just want to see him with his full plethora of weapons and offensive line. But I think, I think there is some cause to be, some cause for concern for this Chargers offense, just because they haven't really looked like the offense we expected them to be uh, heading into the season.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, on the other, on the other side of that, I think, you know, the, the chiefs uh, offense is what didn't like play super well this game, But and like when you lose like a player like Tyreek Hill, I think like your interquartile range, like your 75th percentile or 25th percentile uh, amount of plays, like the bulk of it, they've lost like some juice there, right? Like it's like uh, a three yard pass to Juju Smith-Schuster gets three yards instead of the six or seven that I get with Tyreek Hill, but you still have that top 25%. Uh, tile plays that are just much better than the rest of the league, right? You have the Mahomes sidearm touchdown pass that probably only he could do in, in the NFL. You have the 40 yard touchdown pass to their sixth or seventh best receiving option on JC Jackson, who's one of the best cover corners in the NFL. So that's where I'm at with the chiefs right now is they'll, their offense will get better as the season goes on, but they just do just enough right now to beat a a pretty good AFC team in the, in the chargers and, you know, probably the third or fourth best AFC team right there. So uh, the the chiefs, the chiefs should be fine going forward on as well as the chargers. Like I don't, I don't have any worries about either of them. This was two of the top four quarterbacks in the league and, you know, two of the top five or seven NFL teams. Yeah.
1: All right. And I think we ranted enough about uh, chargers in general um Jets-Browns I thought like in general this game doesn't really seem to have like much implications over like the rest of the league but it's it's a fun game to talk to from an analytics perspective the Browns had like a 99.7 win probability according to ESPN um with 155 to go in the fourth in the fourth quarter after Chubb scored the touchdown and like I think you Nick Chubb has to go down that's pretty much the end-all be-all like that was that's the reason kind of the browns lost now would you expect denzel ward to give up a 66 yard touchdown to cory davis probably not um but i think if you're the browns like it's a tough loss but you were still the better team this game and like i mean jacoby Brissett and the browns offense in general have the fourth highest epa per play in the league now they've only faced the jets and the panthers you know the panthers i think have a decent defense the jets are like okay but for Jacoby Brissett, a guy who's got a lot of slander over the offseason, mm-hmm. for them to rank that high in EPA per play, I think is, is speaks to, I think how good of a coach Kevin Stefanski is and like kind of the upside of this offense when Deshaun Watson comes back.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point about Jacoby Brissett, And, you know, the thing about him right now is the Browns have the third uh lowest pass rate over expected in the league right now and the only two teams below them are the 49ers and bears who got hurt by the monsoon game Mm -hmm. so if you throw that out the browns have the lowest pass rate over expected in the league and they're one of the few teams that can actually make that work because of how good their run game is with nick chubb and kareem hunt and so that's what you want to do with the backup quarterback right is you want to give them the lowest usage that you can while still being a successful offense and Kevin Stavansky has found that balance right now. And that's why, you know, Jacoby Brissett's not going to be able to throw 30 times a game and win you a game. But if you're leaning on your run game and, you know, Nick Chubb is back to being the best running back in the league uh, as he's been for these these past couple of years, um, you know, with a brief stint with Jonathan Taylor last year at number one, uh, Chubb is getting 1.4 rushing yards over expected right now uh, using, using PFS rushing yards over expected model. So just getting that extra juice, is just crazy for them, and you know it's it's very uh cool to see like the way their offense is working, and I'm I'm very excited to see it on Thursday night football this week.
1: Yeah, and and talking about the Jets, I mean like it's it's good for the Jets and their fans that they won this game, but we shouldn't overreact. Like the Jets are not a good team. Like they were down 14, they only had 17 points going into uh, the final two minutes of this game, and like I, I'm seriously questioning whether the Jets, if they're trying to win games, should be starting Zach Wilson over joe flacco obviously for the long term you need to find out if zach wilson's an nfl quarterback but like i mean joe flacco threw for like 300 yards against a pretty solid browns defense so like i don't know like it, it for joe flacco to come in and, and step in and lead two touchdown drives just like that i think that's pretty impressive for him obviously that's not really predictable for what he's going to do in the future but i i think we shouldn't overreact too much to the jets making that type of comeback. Cause that's like one in a million.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I do think it's a little concerning that Mike White and Joe Flacco have had games where they both put up 30 points on good defenses. Mike White did against the Bengals. Joe Flacco did against the Browns when Zach Wilson's never done that in his 12 starts, but I want to see Zach Wilson throwing to the wide receiver trio of Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis and Elijah Moore because Garrett Wilson stepping in and playing like a wide receiver one on Sunday just opens up things for an offense, right? Once you, we've talked about this before, but once you get that third receiving option that you can trust, it becomes really hard for defenses to defend you. And so, him, you know, already being a a good NFL receiver this early in his career is really important for them. Um, but you know, as we go on to to Dolphins, Ravens, uh, speaking of the importance of you know having another receiver come in there and give you three reliable receiving options, Tyree is, has, you know, busted open this offense for the Dolphins. And, you know, with him, Jalen Waddell and Mike Gesicki, and then Mike McDaniel calling the plays, this could be a, a, a very good offense in the NFL.
1: Yeah, I think um, with with the Dolphins, again, I don't want to re- overreact too much. Like for three quarters of this game, the, the Dolphins were not a good offense. And it took Marlon Humphrey and um, Marcus Peters getting hurt for for this offense to really like step up and and um and they scored uh, i think four touchdowns in that fourth quarter right and like marlon humphrey and marcus Peters are hurt so they're p- playing like jalen armor davis but like I, I again i don't know what to think of Tua like i i don't know what the first two weeks confirms anything about my priors heading into the season mike mcdaniel has run has used shifter motion at on 78.9 percent of his snaps first in the league Play action rate of 40.9%, which is first in the league. So he's pushing all the easy buttons for Tua. And Tua is obviously succeeding when he's doing that. So, like, what happens when the going gets tough and you can't run play action, right? And, like, I think I was having this uh, discussion on Twitter. Like, Tua ranked first in non-play action dropbacks in week two. But, like, again, all of that production came in the fourth quarter. And so, like, what happened to quarters one through three? Like, we can't just ignore that the, a larger sample size where he sucked versus a sample size where the Ravens' offense didn't hold the ball at all, and the, the Ravens' defense is continuously coming onto the field and playing with these rookies in, in high leverage situations.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... I I do think the story is Mike McDaniel, right? To beat Bill Belichick and John Harbaugh, who I think have been the two best coaches in the NFL of the past decade, is so impressive as a rookie head coach. And you're right about the stuff that he does. You know, 45% motion rate leads the NFL right now. Third highest pass rate over expected. And their run game isn't bad. Like their their run game was really bad last year because they had a bad uh, offensive line. But he's, you know, he's figuring it out. With with this offensive line. But yeah, when you look at Lamar versus Tua in that game, I think you see the difference between a tier three quarterback and then a borderline tier one or two quarterback. Um, you know, I think I think Tua in this offense is is going to be good and put up stats. And they both had the same EPA per play of 0.49, which is 93rd percentile. So both really good games from them. Lamar was making great throws, right, hitting Rashad Bateman accurately when he was covered. Mark Andrews down the seam for for the touchdown that you know gave put them at thirty five points. Breaking off an eighty yard run all yeah. on his own. Tua played well, but it was more throwing throwing it up to an open receiver that Mike McDaniel schemed up, or that Tyree Kill or Jalen Waddell beat because they're the fastest wide receiver duo, yeah. uh, you know, ever to play together.
1: Yeah, and like 200, 220 of the Dolphins passing yards came after the catch um, against the Ravens. And again, you kind of like watch some of the big plays to a hat. And it was like, it was broken coverages. The the one play where Tyreek just streaked down the field on the, on the left side, Marcus Williams and Kyle Hamilton literally lined up in the same spot. And it's just uncharacteristic that we see this from a Ravens defense. Um, You know, typically they have some pretty good defenses. Mike McDonald was Michigan's old defensive coordinator, and he had one of the best uh, defensive seasons for any power five defense last year so I think going forward um, again I don't know if we should overreact too much I think Mike McDaniel is definitely a great coach I'm not really too sure how this impacts like my prior on the Dolphins because again they were losing by 21 going into this fourth quarter and a single quarter against backup cornerbacks replacement level cornerbacks I don't think should impact your opinion on them too much but um definitely a very exciting game. And you know, props to the Dolphins for pulling that
0: out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm I'm so glad we we all got to witness that at this at the same time as the Jets are coming back too uh, against the Browns. It was, it was very fun, witching hour. Uh, and, and don't know how Scott Hansen handles it.
1: Yeah. So, you know, we can talk about Bengals Cowboys now a uh, one game from the four o'clock slate. And I mean, again, I, I said at the beginning our offseason takes have never looked better. Um Everything we said about Joe Burrow and we talked about last week came back to haunt him in this game. Um, According to Kevin Cole's, you know, uh, pressure survival curve stuff that he's done. Joe Burrow has like a negative five quarterback sack prevented total according to PFF, which is only second behind or in front of Jameis Winston. And like people will bring up the offensive line, like the offensive lines uh, pass blocking grade and true pass set. So removing play action or rollouts, they rank fourth in the NFL. And you would you would think the way Bengals fans are in my mentions. Oh, did you watch the game? Yeah, I watched the game, I watched Joe Burrow run straight into Vander Vanderush mm-hmm. trying to escape the pocket. Like, I think Burrow's pocket presence has been really bad to start the year. And again, people will like say, Oh, he's a leader, like he doesn't need an off-season to off a Super Bowl victory. Like these reps matter. Like he's playing with three completely new offensive linemen and he missed a good chunk of the offseason due to appendix surgery. And I think it's showing that he's not trusting his reads he's not able to step up in the pocket he's taking all of these unnecessary sacks and they just lost to Cooper Rush and the Mm -hmm. Cowboys this is giving me Minnesota Vikings vibes from last year like blow up almost blow everything up like this is really bad and I I don't know what the fix is for the Bengals going forward
0: I think the fix for them is they just will stop playing these defenses that they've been playing. I think the two defenses that they had to play these first two weeks were the worst possible (laughs) matchups for them, right? Like when, when you go up against TJ Watt and the rest of that Steelers defensive line, when you have a quarterback that wants to take a lot of risks, like Burrow does, you know, the Steelers were able to sit in cover two and cause those interceptions and get pressure on him because they have, you know, a top five pass rusher in the NFL. You get to this game and you have not only a top five pass rusher in the NFL, it, Micah Parsons might be the second best pass rusher in the NFL right now at 23 years old. And so it's, it's, it's kind of unlucky for the Bengals. I think that they had to play, uh, you know, TJ Watt, Micah yeah. Parsons back to back weeks. You have Demarcus Lawrence on the other side for the Cowboys as well. And like, that's like what the the game was. I think it was more of the Cowboys defensive line just dominating then you know the Bengals, either Zach Taylor, Joe Burrow, or the offensive line, which I think the problem is all three of them yeah. uh losing the game.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think it's really interesting. The Cowboys win total went from six and a half to eight and a half following this game. Now, obviously, one win against a team they were uh seven point dogs to will impact the spread, but or impact their total, but by two wins is a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the Cowboys defense is legit again. Like I said this last year, midway through the season, like Trayvon Diggs hasn't regressed a ton. He's not obviously forcing interceptions, but I mean, the stunts they were running Dorrance Armstrong coming on as a third edge rusher, two sacks uh, on Sunday, like that's big for them. And teams have played cover two at the highest rate against the Bengals. And I think that's the niche you're finding. Like you're going to force Burrow to either hit those hole shots, which he has to be literally perfect with his arm strength to hit those hole shots on the sideline or up the seam. Or he's going to take a sack or he's not going to take the check down he has no tendency or pe- pendant to take the check down so um i think this, there are some concerning signs for the bengals um i'm glad i'm finally able to hedge my miss the playoff bet or with yeah. with uh, them to make the playoffs at plus 145 so i'll be profitable either way so now i don't have any rooting uh or non-rooting interest against the bengals and i'm just here to enjoy um you know to see how our off season takes play out anything you want to add about the cowboys though
0: yeah i think that Tony Pollard showed his explosiveness for them. And then the importance of scripted plays with a backup quarterback is very crucial. Uh, you know, having Cooper rush get out to a hot start was, was, was critical for them. And then they just kind of held on and hope that their defense would, would keep getting stops. So it was, it was the combination of those two guys that, that really kept it together for the the Cowboys offense. And I know you have a stat for that.
1: Yeah. Uh, so Cowboys, two weeks right now, ranked third in EPA per play on scripted plays only behind the Titans and the bills. Now, uh, the Titans, just like the Cowboys get significantly worse after the scripted plays. Um, But but yeah, like if they're able to get out to a hot start and their defense plays at the elite level they've been playing at. I mean, they could stay in games without Dak Prescott, but mm-hmm. it, it all depends on how they start. And obviously, you know, going on the road is from now on is, is not going to be as easy to get up to a hot start. Mm-hmm. But um, let's transition to our final game review. Uh, Cardinals Raiders, just just another fun game that came yeah. down to the wire. Like, it, it was it was crazy that you know I thought the Raiders were a bad matchup for the Cardinals because no one can really guard Devonte Adams, but two catches, like two catches against this Cardinals defense. Like, Derek
0: Carr was guarding Devontae Adams. Yeah,
1: <laughs> like I I have to go back and rewatch it and see like what happened in that second half. But like they were up, I think twenty to zero, and they let the Cardinals outscore them twenty nine to three in the final, like, uh, 34 minutes of the game, which is unacceptable. And, like, I don't know if it's a Josh McDaniels thing or a Derek Carr thing, but, like, again, it's it's such a tough thing to evaluate because the I think the Raiders are the better team. Mm-hmm. The Cardinals just came back at the end, and, and I, like, the Cardinals, to me, didn't really show anything. Like, I think Kyler Murray himself showed that he's a Tier 2, possibly Tier 1 quarterback with all the crazy shitty he pulled on this two-point conversion and on the final touchdown play um, at the end of regulation but the Cardinals in general I still think they stink mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know about you
0: no it it, it does seem like that <laughs> because you see that the reason why I can't put Kyler Murray in tier one and I do think he is a firm tier two quarterback is because the variance is just way too much with him right like like for the for the first you know, 45 minutes, the first three quarters of the game, the Cardinals weren't doing anything on offense and that all of it was his fault, right? Like you're missing your wide receiver one right now. Your offensive line isn't that good. And you don't have a play caller that's really been helping you out. But then when you, when he's on, it's almost unstoppable. Like there's almost no way to stop Kyler Murray when he is hitting his 75th percentile and above. And that's what's like so enticing about him. And you really see that when he led his team back. Um, just like when when he got the ball in his hand, it just felt like something was gonna happen uh on on every play going down the stretch there in that fourth quarter. And that's how I think you know you have the guy.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think I think his play in the second half definitely like kind of justified why the Cardinals gave him the bag um in, in training camp. And but again, I think. You have to ask yourself, like, why did they struggle in the first half and, like, what changed in the second half? And the, the Raiders D played 87 total snaps. Mm-hmm. They're going to be exhausted by the time they're in the fourth quarter. And it's not, not like the Raiders' offense was helping helping them out. Like, it was, like, three and out, three and out. And so, again, like, the, the Cardinals' offense struggled for two, uh, a whole half, comeback, second half, longer drives because the Raiders are playing, like, prevent defense or, like, not trying to allow the big play. And they're going to be tired – um towards the end of the game which is why i think the cardinals put together two scoring drives at the end of the uh at the end of regulation so i don't really know what to take away from the cardinals but but i do know that the raiders stink and there's a reason that you know even with getting devontae adams and chandler jones their win total dropped from nine uh to eight and a half and why they were the least favorite team to win the division in mm-hmm. AFC West.
0: We already see the one score regression yeah. with the Raiders, right? O oh and two. Yeah, and the Bengals. Yeah, and the Bengals too, right? So that's like some of the reasons why a lot of um, you know, people who are smarter than us were on that very early. Uh, you know, right when the season ended last year. And then we were able to uh to kind of catch up during the offseason when when we were doing that. But uh yeah, we will uh jump into our segments that we're going to do every week from now on the who was him segment of the week and the letdowns that we saw from week 2 you are not him you are not so bitch i'm him quit I'm trying to ride with a boss what bitch get in get stay on the road like the Michelin man put an Whoa. m on your head like a Whoa. michigan fan. so we're going to go into our who was him segment of the week three players from each of us we're going to do uh you know some some players that really really impressed us from week 2 so my first one is my homer pick uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, just an insane day from him against the Commanders. Uh, Twelve targets, nine receptions, one hundred sixteen receiving yards, and two receiving touchdowns, and then two rushes for sixty-eight yards. And so, when you look at what Amon Ross St. Brown has done to the Lions' offense, it's he can line up in various spots, you know, on in the formation, and he can be a threat, you know, in motion. Uh, where he could get the ball as a rusher, and he's just great at finding the soft spots in the zone that the Commanders were playing. And the Commanders' defense was predictable in that game. And that's what allowed Manra to go off. But it's very cool to see the connection that he's developed with Goff, and kind of how he's established himself among one of the the top, you know, twenty receivers in the NFL right now.
1: Yeah. No, I know you loved Saint Brown in the in the draft when you did like your wide receiver clustering article. <laughs> um and it's, it's been really cool to see his career progression and i think he's only going to keep getting better um my first guy is mike mcdaniel i think at this point we he's probably the new analytics king um scoring 42 points against the ravens doesn't just come easy and i know i was kind of talking earlier about like how like what happened the first three quarters but i mean he was still dialing up some really good plays he he is playing you know with a with an average quarterback into us so he has to really push the easy buttons for the Dolphins offense to succeed. And I think he's doing that in the right way. A lot of motion, a lot of play action. And um, even the run game has looked like decent this year. And I do want to shout out like his fourth down decision making. He went for fourth and one from his 45. Like how many coaches are going to do that? And I, I, I would say probably not many. So I'll shout out to McDaniel. I think, you know, he's the favorite uh, coach of the year, favorite right now for a reason. And I, I am bullish on him long term. I just don't know what he's going to do with Tua. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's it's been really cool to see him step in and be so good from uh, day day one. When you know we have other coaches who will get to in the letdowns, not doing that. Uh, another, you know, we didn't talk too much about the Monday night games that that we saw but jalen hurts needs a shout out um you know it was all this talk this offseason was about how much pressure was on him the eagles have the ammo to move off from him if needed and you know he just went out and did exactly what he needed to do right so uh 83.9 completion percentage uh 333 yards passing uh, 10.7 yards per attempt and then he just adds so much as a rusher uh 11 rushes for 57 yards and him you know getting linebackers to flow with him when he's handing off the ball makes it a lot easier for Miles Sanders as well so you know he's just having a great season right now I think you know everything that the Eagles have done uh hiring our friends uh Zach Japkin and Sarah <laughs> Hugh on top of all the other offseason uh moves they've made is really paying off and hurts looks super comfortable in that offense right now
1: yeah always go birds with our with our guys mm-hmm. uh, and girls Zach and Sarah there um and I I I tweeted about this today. Like, I think the big thing with Harris is like his progress, like his ability to throw over the middle is yeah. huge now. And that was something he lacked like completely last year. And when you get AJ Brown, obviously it's much easier to do that.
0: And throwing in the pocket. That's what the, the touchdown where he was standing in the pocket, throwing to the yeah. middle of the field, the 40 yard touchdown pass was like something he never did last year. The fact that he's yeah. doing that this year is very scary for, for a yeah. of defenses. Yeah. Very, very scary.
1: Um. So my second person, Jalen Ramsey, mm-hmm. uh, he before this game, he had two really bad games uh leading up to this. So the, the Bengals game in the Super Bowl, he was kind of you know beat a lot by chase and Higgins. Uh week one, Stephon Dix kind of, you know, babied him or sunned him a little bit, as they say in our in our generation. But <laughs> I thought he had a really good game. He was targeted um five times, only allowed two completions. And he had probably one of the best interceptions I've I've seen in my generation, at least. Like the guy made a crazy play on the ball when the falcons seemed, you know, like they were going to win this game. And I think, you know, with the injuries to Troy Hill and the, the Rams possibly trotting out a lot of weak links on in that secondary, it's going to there's going to be a lot of pressure on him to for him to do his job because if he doesn't do his job, they're, the the Rams are screwed. Like they need him to play at his absolute best. Like they need him to play like the best corner in the NFL. Otherwise, I think the Rams' pass defense is in for a lot of trouble um, in the next upcoming matchups.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. And that's why I think, you know, it's probably like the three most important defensive players in the league right now. And like, this kind of leads into my next uh, who was him is Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, and then Micah Parsons. And I think like Parsons getting four sacks in his first two games and getting two more this Sunday against the Bengals is crazy because he's their best pass rusher and offensive lines usually do everything they can to take away a team's best pass rusher. Yeah. If it leads to a free rusher, that's okay, because we just don't want, you know, these uh, Miles Garrett or these uh, TJ and JJ Watts getting to you. So people know that Micah Parsons is is going to be pass rushing there, and they still can't stop it. He's, he's getting to a point where he's uh, taking up a whole side of the offensive line himself because he's that good of a pass rusher, and he's still getting to the quarterback on a lot of plays.
1: Yeah, I agree. And it, it was really cool to just see Parsons tear up that Bengals line and even in week one against the Bucs offensive line. Um, So I, I have two more. Who was him? One a player and one not even in the NFL, but the first player, Stephon Diggs, mm-hmm. like that guy just dominated the Titans. And like the Titans, like I thought this whole offseason overperformed on defense last year, like barely top 10 in E P per play with like Christian Fulton and uh. Like Janoris or Jackrabbit Jenkins starting a corner, like Stephon Diggs literally just destroyed anyone who guarded him. Twelve catches on thirteen targets, like that reception percentage is crazy. One forty eight, three touchdowns, one of the highest receiving grades from PFF. I think the cool thing about Diggs is his connection with Allen is just so good. They run these RPOs where Allen will like literally have the ball in the in the running back's hands, and Diggs is just sitting on a wide receiver screen or a hitch. And it'll go into a six or seven yard gain. And like, those are the plays that I feel like NFL offense aren't running enough, but also they don't have a Stefan Diggs, who's Mm -hmm. like not only a great uh, player at the catch point, but also after the catch where I think he does a lot of damage when given the opportunity, but I mean, he can take the top off the defense, which he did in on this week. And he's also really good in the red zone, but um, I do have an extra guy, Judah Gang, who's mm-hmm. been an, on an absolute heater. He's probably listening to this, but the guy has been an, on an absolute heater on pff.com. If you're not reading his betting articles, you're just not making, you don't want to make money. The guy's hit like three same game parlays in the past two weeks. Me and him had a collab or like he sent me a bunch of things and I like, we talked about it for sack props. Yeah. And he did a ton of great work on uh, evaluating like the stability of like pass protection and he went four for four on sack props, uh, this weekend, and I, like luckily for me, I played all of them as a straight and parlayed them at like plus four, like five thousand value. Huh. So the guy has been on an absolute heater, made me some money, and I you know really appreciate always talking ball with him. So definitely just wanted to give a shout out to him.
0: Yeah, um, Judah was an insane better, one of the best betters I knew before he got to PFF, <laughs> giving him access to PFF data is, uh, is, is just unfair, right? It's like, it's, it's, it's like what, you know, giving Josh Allen access to Stefan Diggs basically, right? Yeah, like yeah. Steph- Josh Allen right now is going to be great no matter what. It's not fair that he gets to have a top five receiver. So, so that's what, that's what Judah's been. Um, yeah, a different page now, we, you know, we, we have to do the letdowns and I think, you know, I have to start with the one that's been on everyone's mind. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett, I just don't know <laughs> what the Broncos are doing. Like, So when they go up to make their fourth down decisions, you can see that the really smart teams about fourth down decisions make that decision on second down because they know that yard line they're at. They have a certain distance that they set. That way the offense can just stay on the field, doesn't even need to waste any time on the play clock. You even saw that with Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars in week two of a new coaching regime where he just instantly knew they were going to go for it on fourth down because they told him on second down, if it's fourth and one in this situation, we're going to go for it. Hackett just seems to be making up stuff like on the fly, which is just crazy. Uh, the sequence that we've talked about was, you know, third and one when they do a tight end sweep uh, with an option that gets blown up. Then they send out the uh, field goal crew initially, but they take a while to get out there. So it hits a delay a game. There's six delay a game, uh, you know, which leads the league right now in, in that game. And yeah, at home, and they had to waste their two timeouts for other dumb stuff, and so they take the delay game and end up punting anyways. And that punt ends up getting 99.9th percentile on the survivor index created by John Boy. So I don't know what's happening in Denver right now. I'm sure they'll figure it out. There's too much talent there not to, but it's been really disappointing so far. Yeah, I agree. And
1: I I just don't know what hockey is doing right now. I do hope he figures it out for Denver fans. But it, the early returns has not been pretty on the partnership between him and Russ. On uh, My first letdown has to be Kirk Cousins, an absolute priv. He <laughs> <laughs> was a primetime priv on Monday night. Uh, I mean, I thought he just looked frantic in the mm-hmm. pocket. Didn't seem like he he was missing on his receivers. His receivers did drop four balls, but he also had four turnover-worthy plays um 53 uh, 51.7 pff passing grade and any time the eagles blitz it just seemed like he didn't know what to do the two plays in the in the red zone where he just threw it up to justin jefferson and slay dropped the first pick and picked off the second one it looked like he was a rookie quarterback Mm -hmm. right and he just seemed so frazzled at the sign of any pressure which is not what you want to see from a quarterback you're paying what 39 now to. Mm -hmm. so A pretty disappointing showing from Kirk and, you know, one that I'm sure you're glad to see as a as a Kirk hater.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not even a Kirk hater. Like, (laughs) I just think that his fans annoyed me so much about the Cousins versus Stafford debate when I have given them the out of, yes, they have about the same median output. It's the tales that make me want to have Stafford over Kirk and they just don't take it. They still want to argue with me that cousins is a better quarterback than Stafford. And I got the pile on after week one primetime game where Stafford didn't play well. I didn't pile on them last night publicly um, on Twitter just because like, I didn't, I didn't feel like the need I had to the the play spoke for itself and there are enough people piling on cousins, but it it did feel good to, to kind of be vindicated in that regard so out of the the sake of time and since we have our interview with Sam coming up, we're going to move on to our, our week three preview. Um, lots of lots of good games to talk about. My My favorite game of the week is Bill's Dolphins. Um, you know, if you use uh, EPA per play right now, if you use uh, my true score that you can find on Pff.com that attempts to take out some of the flukiness that we see in in post game scores and, and assign like a true value to it. These are top, these are two top five offenses going up against each other. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if the Dolphins finish the season as a top five offense, but right now they seem like they're playing as it. And uh, and, you know, I think the the storyline going into this game is it's two teams that have built their receiver rooms for their quarterback specifically. Right. So you have Josh Allen, who coming into the NFL was going to be inaccurate. So they went out and just got separators and after the catch guys so that they could be so open that even if he threw in an accurate pass, they could still get yards after yeah. the catch and they get, they would still be open enough where it didn't cost them. Diggs, a top five receiver right now. Isaiah McKenzie is like a great, you know, third receiving option to have. Um, They have the check down options with Singletary and cook. And then on the dolphins side of things, right. It's, Tua throws a nice deep ball and he was good at it last year on a small sample size. So let's just let's just get these people open down the field and Tua will take advantage of it. Uh, and and you know, also have like the quick game stuff too. It's just don't just don't throw intermediate passes, yeah. right? It's either Layers RPO quick, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. and threes,
1: and don't worry, we I didn't hear enough about Tua's deep ball from Warren Sharp. When we were summer, <laughs> so yeah, he might be right about Tua in general, but again, still very small sample size. I think I'm just curious to see what the Bills do on defense, losing Dane Jackson, who, um, you know, was kind of their CB one uh, the season. Uh without Treadavia white like that's big. So you're you're playing kair Elam and uh Christian Benford, who's like, I don't know, like he's looked okay, I guess, the mm-hmm. first two games. Like the Bills shouldn't be playing man in this game at all. This should literally they should be treating Tua like Mahomes. Obviously, you know, you can do whatever you want on the D-line because Tua's um, you know, pocket movement isn't like Mahomes level. And and the Bills D line is is good. Like Von Miller is good. Oh, I, it's I, great. I am yeah. excited to see what he does versus Tron Armstead. And then Rousseau and Basham had two really good uh, performances against the against the uh, uh the the Titans, right? So uh, if they can get pressure to two and kind of prevent him from throwing it deep, I think I'm really excited to see what that does. But but yeah, it's it's going to be a really exciting thing, and I think the Bills are smart enough to know they don't have the advantage on the outside to play man.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I know. I think I think it'll be it'll be really interesting to see what Leslie Frazier does as well. And then yeah, on the on the defensive side of things, you know the the Dolphins still have the same defensive coordinator that they had under yeah. Brian Flores, and you know that's like a very like uh, you know, heavy, like blitz heavy, lots of guys on the line, like they'll, they'll really like mug it up where they just have two guys sitting in the a gap. You cannot do that against the bills. Right. So you're going to really have to just sit back against them and just hope for flukiness to happen. Right. Like the Rams had their changes in week one when fluky turnovers happened from the bills. And like, that's why the bills still have, you know, the number one, like adjusted offense when, when you kind of regress those turnovers, but you, that's like the, your only hope against them right now because they are just a house and yeah. they just ran through the Titans, uh, last week.
1: Yeah, I, I did want to talk about Chiefs' close, but like, again, in, in the interest of time, I think we kind of know what's going to happen. Mahomes versus Gus Bradley. Mm-hmm. If Gus Bradley comes out in single high to start the game, I might just live bet the Chiefs again, even though I've already bet them minus three and a half. Yeah, um. But I do I did want to talk about Lions Vikings, a divisional game, you know, both teams one and one right now. Um, what what is your read on the game, especially as a, as a Lions fan?
0: So I know I shouldn't be doing this to myself, but I feel optimistic about the Lions going into this game because everyone's talking about Kevin O'Connell as a play caller. And his play calling was great week one. It was okay. Yeah. Um, you know, our, our friend Sean Sayed. At at Syed Schemes, uh, you know, we'll point this out that like O'Connell didn't have a lot of answers for the heavy man defense that the Eagles threw at Kirk Cousins on Monday night. So the Lions want to play a lot of man this year. That's what we've seen from them so far. So I think the Lions match up okay in that regard you're still gonna have to find someone to guard Justin Jefferson but other than that I think they can take away the other receiving options and for the Vikings offense right now it's Justin Jefferson or nothing yeah like it's Justin Jefferson or incomplete pass right so find a way to take it. and they and when the Lions played the Vikings last year uh and but the Lions were, were at home for this game Justin Jefferson only had one reception in the first half like they were doing a good job yeah. of, of taking him away they it, that probably won't continue this game but feel confident about that but What I really want to get to is the play caller that people should be talking about is Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson, who's been a phenomenal play caller through two weeks this year. Uh, You know, the Lions are top five in in points per game right now. Some of that's been fluky and, you know, that the the Justin metrics kind of bear that out. But you can see the vision of him. They're using six six offensive linemen in the run game and using one of the, the extra offensive linemen on motions or coming across the edge. They're using Amon Ross, Saint Brown, effectively Jamal Williams to get short yards, uh, DeAndre Swift in high expected yard situations to get the explosiveness, as he's been one of the best rushers in the NFL so far. And then the pass game has been really easy for Jared Goff too, where you know he's he's had a good connection with uh, Josh Reynolds as well. So, you know, it's it's gonna be a close game. You yeah, know, I if, if I had to pick, I would I would lean vikings just because they're at home and this lions team is still getting there yeah. on defense but the lions are a lot better than they were last year when they played the vikings super tight in in both of their games
1: yeah i agree and uh, to your credit like the the line has moved from lines seven and a half to five and a half so passing through a key number of seven there's obviously a lot of people that believe in the lions i missed out on the number unfortunately but i i do agree with you like i do think it's gonna be a very close game and i really do hope your, your lines pull it out uh you know for the for the for the culture.
0: I don't know. Pride. I don't know if uh, other people should be hoping for that because the hype would be out of control. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the amount of Kool-Aid that people would be drinking would be pretty crazy if, if the Lions started two and one yeah and had the Seahawks the next week. So but I i do hope they they can pull it out also because that'd be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. Um Packers Buccaneers, I think we'll do like our last full game preview on this one. Um I think the, the big storyline is no Mike Evans. Mm-hmm. And right now we're recording on Tuesday. And so he got a one-game suspension. He's appealing it. So if he does come back, I think that's big. But the, the thing with Brady is, like, he does a very good job of targeting weak links or targeting matchup advantages. And that's something he's done well his entire career. Now, Mike Evans is, in my opinion, like a top-ten receiver in this league. I think people have underrated him. You don't get 1,000 yards in, like, seven, eight straight seasons um, by by luck, right? But without him, who is winning against this Packers defense? Which receiver is better than Jair Alexander or Eric Stokes, right? Like, and I think, like, they're going to struggle a lot to move the ball. And that's why this total, even with Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, is like 42 and a half. Because I don't think the Bucks' offense is that good Mm-mm. without any of their good receivers. And if they don't have Mike Evans, there's no one for Brady to pick on. So I'm I'm really curious to see how the Packers play this matchup. Um, you know, the Bucks' run game has been okay, and that's where the Packers' defense got absolutely gashed by David Montgomery last week. So maybe the Bucks go with a more run-heavy approach as they have been to start the year, but but I I think this is going to be a really big defensive struggle between two of the you know better defenses in the league.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I think it shows the state of the NFC right now, where you know you could throw the Eagles in here, but these are these are you know two of the best teams in the NFC, and they're both being led by their defenses uh the Buccaneers have the best defense in the NFL right now I think you know just being fully healthy seeing what they've done to the Cowboys with Dak compared to what the Cowboys were able to do against another good defense with Cooper Rush (laughs) the next week it's pretty crazy and then like you know the Saints were were I know they didn't play super well against the Falcons but they went off in the fourth quarter and didn't have a single drive that didn't end in the score and the Buccaneers, you know, defense just smothered them them yeah. at all times. So I think, you know, it, it might be a, <laughs> like a, a 13-10, you know, grinded out game. And it's just going to be kind of like whatever defense can just completely flip the field with like a turnover or a stop, like a strip sack yeah. or something like that. It's
1: probably going to be the team that makes less mistakes that mm-hmm. ends up winning this game.
0: Yeah. Instead of more explosive plays, which we, which we'll see in the AFC yeah. matchups. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so lo- just real quick, 49ers Broncos, I just wanted to highlight this game because I think it's going to be an absolute privilege to watch Nathaniel Hackett versus Kyle Shanahan and Anthony Lynn, you know, manage the game, fourth down decisions, timeouts, all that. It might not be that fun of a game from like an actual game perspective. Um, but, and obviously we wish Trey Lance all the best in this recovery. But um. yeah, do you want to transition to our bets that we have given that we have for this week.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so four bets this week. Um so the the first one and like this the one, you know, I feel pretty confident about is the Chiefs Colts over 49 and a half. Uh what we talked about earlier, uh Patrick Mahomes when he goes up against Gus Bradley averages 34 points a game. <laughs> so it's it's a perfect of a quarterback that eats cover three, the team that is still playing the most cover yeah. three in the league, and the Colts, which if you want to talk about where the warning signs were for the Colts underperforming this year, it was the hiring of Best Bradley, Bradley because the defensive system he runs is not only uh, not what the NFL is trend- trending towards, it's also super predictable yeah. if you ran single high in a way that belichick does where you're mixing in cover one man cover one double cover three uh cover zero at times that works but just running cover three at all times and 10 percent more often than the second most uh team in the league at cover three is it's pretty crazy and the colts offense is undervalued right now um you know, I understand Matt Ryan has been bad. They should have scored a lot more points against the Texans than they did in week one. And then they just haven't done well in Clowntown as, yeah. as Pat McAfee likes to describe it in Jacksonville. So I could see them bouncing back. So if you have, you know, uh, Mahomes and the chiefs offense putting up, you know, the 30, 33, 34 points that I think we, we expect them to, you only need, two touchdowns and a field goal from the Colts. And I think they should be able to get that. And that's why I like the over in this game.
1: Yep. Love that play again, Gus Bradley. I love the guy. I think he's a great defensive mind. He will never change the system. Mm -hmm. Um, A a good alternative to this bet is running back Mahomes over two and a half touchdowns, but I don't know if we're going to get that at plus money again. No, Um, but yeah, over 49 and a half is our official bet. Um, Another bet. I like Niners minus one minus one and a half. Make sure you shop around and get the best price. You can just take their money line as well. Um, but I would take minus one for less juice. I think the Niners with Jimmy G are probably a better offense on average than what they are with Trey Lance. And now they have a full week to prepare with Jimmy G. I think this Broncos defense has been good, but I think the Niners offense and their offensive skill weapons um, cater more towards Jimmy G. And they have obviously a lot more chemistry with, with Jimmy. And again, I think this um, this Denver defense, while it can be good, they can be susceptible to the run game Mm -hmm. um and the line has moved from Niners plus two and a half which I got on Sunday to not 49ers minus one so I think we're on the right side here and even though we're not getting the best number moving between the threes isn't that valuable
0: Mm -hmm. yeah no I I like this play a lot um if you want to do something fun and and lower the sample size as small as you can on uh, runningbacksdontmatter.com to look at the quarterback page, Jimmy G ranks first in the paper play, oh, exactly. as always. <laughs> so yeah, you're right. Like the the offense, just Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy G. I know Kyle Shanahan doesn't like when Jimmy G plays, but they just work so well together. Yeah. And it just it, it it's gonna you're like you're gonna see it. They have a week to prepare yeah. for for the Broncos, and I think I think their offense is going to eat. Uh, next bet: Bengals minus four and a half. Uh, we've made you know our our names <laughs> as anti-Bengals people. Here's our olive branch to all Bengals fans out there. It's the Jets. We just oh, talked man. about how the Jets, um, you know, we we're, we we're, we're got a little lucky in their game. I like you know, I still like what they're building towards the future, and I think Joe Douglas is a good GM. They're just not there yet, and like the Bengals are like they have too much receiver talent and talent on defense to not figure this out. Uh, And, like, I think the Jets will have a – I call it the Stephon Diggs effect when Stephon Diggs had the the game-winning touchdown against the uh, Saints in the the playoffs the next week they came out flat against the Eagles because it's hard to look forward when what just happened was so exciting for you. So I think the Jets will have some Stephon Diggs effect in this game, and that's why the the Bengals should, um, you know, beat them by by more than four and a half. Yeah.
1: Look, if the Bengals don't cover – and, look, frankly, if they lose outright in this game – we just chalk it up to the game and anyway, it's, it's good for our off season takes. So it's kind of a, it will be a win-win on both fronts for us, but yeah, like there's no, like how are the Bengals going from seven point favorites against the Cowboys who have a better roster than the Jets? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I don't know. Um, My final play is a teaser. So we haven't really given out a teaser Eagles and chiefs. So chiefs opened up as minus three and a half point, point favorites. Now it's six and a half Eagles opened up as minus four. Now it's six and a half. So most books don't really allow like six point teasers at minus one ten, so you have to do five point teasers. So basically, what we're saying is, Eagles minus one and a half and Chiefs minus one and a half. That gives you minus one ten value. Basically, you're basically saying Eagles money line and Chiefs money line because the the chance of lands on one versus two isn't like that um, significant. Mm-hmm. Like the Eagles are a house right now, like look unstoppable. The Commanders defense is an absolute funnel. So and the Eagles defense like really damn good yesterday. So I think they'll. Easily win that one, or not easily, but I think they'll win that one. The Chiefs again, they're Patrick Mahomes is playing Gus Bradley. He should be dropping thirty, and and the Colts offense, while it might be undervalued, isn't as good as the Chiefs. And the Chiefs defense, you know, kind of looked good against the Chargers on prime time. So I I like this teaser. You know, I, I I got some great closing line value on the Chiefs minus three and a half when I bet it on Sunday before the Colts game ended. But I still like this teaser where you're getting two teams coming off a pretty impressive victory so what what do you want to make our our bet of the week what's your conviction play
0: i i loved your reasoning for 49ers minus one and a half i think that needs to be the bet of the week and it'll give us something fun to keep track of during sunday night football yeah yeah for sure
1: i think we'll we'll chart it as minus one because at the time of recording it's the best line is minus one Mm -hmm. so you can get that um so yeah bet of the week 49ers minus one hopefully we cash um, but yeah, really looking forward to this slate of football. should be should be very exciting. So we'll now transition into our interview with M member Sam DeSorbo and his overall takes and thoughts about at the NFL and college. So now we are going to be joined by Sam DeSorbo goes by at Analyticist on Twitter. Sam is one of our good friends and kind of the feature writer on our Michigan Football Analytics Society website. And, you know, Sam is our first M fans guest we've had on the show. So really excited for this.
2: Sam, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for the introduction. It's been a great couple weeks of football and I'm excited to jump into it.
0: Yeah, Sam, thanks for joining us. Uh, you know, we we just got handed a bunch of lucky charm boxes in the in the Stephen M. Ross Business School, which you know could be considered a different type of tam- tampering, like uh like Stephen M. Ross is used to himself. So uh, you know, we're we're glad to be sitting here today. So, you know, I want to talk about like the teams that you were really high on going into this year. And you're you know, you grew up a Vikings fan and you right. still are a Vikings fan, and you're also really high on the Patriots. So What were some kind of your takeaways from them, uh, their performances in week two and what you feel about them going forward?
2: Yeah. So I guess let's start with the Vikings. There's, there's really not too much to be excited about uh, week two. Um, I was, I'm a big 538 guy. So before uh, week two going in, Vikings were at 51% chance to win the division following the loss. They're now at 39%. So it kind of worries me. Kirk didn't look great in primetime again, but you know, I think I think they can bounce back and, and win the division. Um, historically, they're they've been pretty bad in Philly. Uh, they've lost three of their last four with a, a negative fifty-seven point differential. So um, I'm not too too worried. I, I see the Eagles as as the the top contender in the NFC, but you know they certainly could have showed more uh, promise than they did. But you know that. It's, it's a new head coach, new system. So, so, you know, some growing pains are are definitely expected.
1: Yeah. I think the the thing that everyone was so excited about for the Vikings was, you, you know, Kevin O'Connell got Justin Jefferson matched up against guys like Preston Smith and the linebackers in general on a bunch of plays. And we didn't really see that against the Eagles. I think part of that was because the Eagles sent a lot of blitzes on third down. So it was really slay on Jefferson. Why don't, why don't we transition to the Patriots that you brought up? I mean, right. like, you have, you're pretty much a fan of two teams that have two Kirks uh, with, with Mac Jones. And I think uh, I was a little bit low on the Patriots, but I knew like Belichick's a great coach and like I was never going to bet against him. So like, what did you see from them against the Steelers? And, um, you know, overall, like what is your opinion on them this season?
2: Yeah, I mean, with the Pats, I think the key is always with their defense. Um, you saw the Steelers, their, their PFF coverage grade you know, went up 19 points. It was 44 against the Dolphins. Um and they still only gave up 20 points, which, which, you know, is, isn't too bad. But but then they raised it to 63 against the Steelers. Um only gave up 14 points. So I think definitely a good bounce back week for them. Um and you know if their defense can can step up and take some of that pressure off of Mac Jones, then I think they're definitely, you know, a force to be reckoned with. Um, I know I was super high on them. You know, splitting with the Bills this season after the first couple of weeks, the Bills look look too strong to compete with. But I still think that the Pats are are definitely a playoff team, uh, especially if, if they're if their coverage can can stay high um, and, you know, that defense holds strong.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a good point about, you know, the Patriots giving up 20 points to the Dolphins, because what we kind of learned from week two is the Dolphins offense might be really, really good. Yeah. And so now that you're looking back at that and, you know, you're kind of saying, OK, like the Patriots defense will be fine because they have Bill Belichick and they have the right guys sure. to do it. Uh, at least you saw with the offense last week against the Steelers that there's some life there, right? They're not like a completely lifeless offense. And, you know, they they rank 21st in offensive EPA per play right now, which is not like bottom 10 in the league. So it there is a formula that could make it work if they were to make a run, you know, and try to get into the playoffs. But the AFC is just so stacked with with that type of stuff.
2: Yeah, it's definitely tough. I think I think the, the key lies in the secondary, like I was saying. You know, the the Bills got Diggs and, and Gabriel Davis who are, who are going to, you know, really take off the top with that team. Um, the Dolphins, of course, you saw them get, get burned with with Hill and Waddle. And even the Jets, like, they've got uh, three young studs, um, you know, uh, in the, that wide receiving core. So it's going to be really tough for them to keep track of all that. But I think if they can, you know, figure that out in the secondary – then um they're 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 definitely gonna be a good team. Uh and you know it's just up to Mac Jones to see if he can put some points on the board. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, you know, I, I did want to
1: give our listeners like some insight about you. So like I think you had a really productive summer, more productive than I've ever had. And and I know uh you've written more articles in one year in this club nice. than me and Tage put together, which is which is pretty cool to see. I did want to highlight, you know, you created your own fourth down model. I know the kind of public facing one is is Ben Baldwin's fourth down model, but why don't you walk us through through it, you know, why you named it, what it is, and essentially like how it can be applied uh, to NFL game management decisions.
2: Yeah, yeah. So the Staley model named after, you know, the Chargers head coach, um, I, I named it that because he's you know, the most effective fourth down play caller in the league was, um, was <laughs> yeah, he, so, uh, he, a lot of his moves were aggressive, um, which, which is kind of what the model tended to, to like, you know, going for it on fourth down a lot. So it kind of fit, fit the name. Um, as for the model itself, it's, it's actually trained on, on three de- different scenarios. So it's kind of like three models in one. Um, so what it does is it goes for, you know, it's trained on, each fourth down attempt from you know 2006 to now, and how it works is we take the all the data for uh, going for on fourth down field goals and then punts, um, and there's a separate model for each. So when I'm when I'm given a scenario, we can plug all that data in and then you make a prediction for the win percentage added based on each decision, um, and yeah, it's actually been working pretty well. We, this season already, so I tested it out on the on the Broncos controversial call. It elected to go for as as the people were calling for. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely been a, a really cool project, um, and just you know shows how how important you know fourth down decision making can be um, to to really swing you know the turn of events in in a game.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, yeah, it's been really cool to follow your fourth down model. And, you know, there was there was the uh, model that was kind of put out on Twitter by someone at ESPN, I believe, that said that, you know, they thought it was like a toss up basically between that Broncos field goal uh, from 63 yards versus going for it there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, people were really saying like there was like a lot of selection bias because like only good kickers will kick 60 plus yard field goals. So you have to account for that in your model. And there's, and then you also have to count for Seattle being, you know, very low elevation compared to where a lot of other 60 yard field goals are kicked in like Denver usually. And so it's re- it's been really cool to see your model, you know, kind of nail what we think in a lot of situations right. and stuff like that. So like, how do you, when you go about your, you know, your, uh, idea phase and like k- kind of thinking the- of these ideas, right. what's like the process, like do you just instantly start coding or do you kind of like think about it for a while and then code from there?
2: Yeah, it's definitely a, a weird creative process. Um, a lot of times I, I think of an idea or maybe I see something, um, on 538 or PFF that I like and I'm like, okay, maybe I can try and make my, try and make my own model of this or, um, it, a lot of times, it even starts with a visualization. So I have an idea of something I want to I want to build, and I'll I'll build the model around that. As weird as it sounds, but um, yeah, once you start once you start coding, you know, it just it just the model and, and the project has a mind of its own. So it's a it's definitely a cool process, uh, you know, to go through.
1: Yeah. Um. Also wanted to talk about your your website. You call it Samalytics, which you know I think I think that's a great name. Yeah. Um, probably one of the coolest, like shiny apps I've seen in terms of it's, um, it's like design, like UI UX, something like that. Yeah. Right?
0: Very aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. Very
1: aesthetically pleasing. Um, you also, you know, you, you've had your own betting model and stuff. Why don't you talk a little bit about, um, why you created that, like the process there and like, you know, we don't have to really get into profit loss right now. Cause it's still very yeah, early yeah. in the season.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I thought it would be a, a cool project to tackle. I was getting into some machine learning techniques this summer, so I thought, um, why not, you know, try the betting market? So I I, I tackled an over under model and then a, a spread model for the over unders for both college and NFL, and then the spread just for college. Um, and yeah, the process was really cool uh, building that and you know really fleshing out all those details. Um, the it's it's been pretty successful so far. Um, you know, most most of the listeners probably know you got to be fifty two point four percent to beat the market. Um, and you know, through all the testing and, and so far this season, uh, they've both been able to you know clear that margin. So it's it's definitely been an interesting proce- process, um, and it's taught me a ton about you know machine learning and, and especially you know sports betting. You know, you you got to be uh, emotionless when you're <laughs> when you're doing it. A lot of a lot of my decision making is not. Not great when I'm going against going against the model that I built myself.
0: So mm-hmm. yeah, no, I'm glad to hear that's been doing well. And so like, when you kind of have like a model like this, that gives you, you know, maybe like a, a projected over under based on your model, and you compare it to like what the betting markets have as as the total, do you need a like discrepancy size to bet it? Or is it just any edge that you see you'll go and you'll bet or you'll go and you'll like recommend it on Twitter? Yeah,
2: so it definitely varies from model to model. Um with with the over under, it's it's, you know, like anything, uh the higher percent chance that it predicts to either hit the over or the under, you, you know, the more chance that you want to take it. But um specifically if that one is it's pretty accurate all around. So if I were to, you know, try to optimize it, I'm really taking all of the best there. Um because, you know, it's it's like I said, it's it's beating the market at every little level. level. But, you know, the other one, like with the spread, I'm more geared towards taking it on the away teams. Um, I've noticed it trends to be, you know, a lot more accurate when it's picking the away team to cover rather than the home team. Um, so I usually, you know, when I see a negative differential between my predictions and, and Vegas's uh, spread, then I'll usually take that and, and, you know, throw it on Twitter, write an article, <laughs> see see what the people think about it.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's really cool to see that progression. And again, like I think betting college football is so tough because there's like 100 games in a mm-hmm. given week. So, I mean, if you have spreads and over-unders, like you're probably going to have an edge on a decent amount of games. And I mean, it's tough to just put bets in for like 50, 60 games, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's it's definitely a lot to keep up with. One thing I'll say about college football is that the talent discrepancy, you know, between the, the top teams and, you know, FCS teams and non-Power 5 teams is so is so big and it helps betters I think because you take uh, teams like New Mexico or like San Jose State and there's so much less data available on them and they're just so much more unpredictable. So you know when they're going against better teams like um, this week you you've got like Baylor and Iowa State. It's kind of a like an off edge uh, matchup. So it's it's easier to predict. Uh, you know, those type of matchups where, where um, you, there's less data on teams and, uh, you know, the talent levels. So such a wide gap. So that kind of makes it makes it easier. But um, yeah, it's certainly interesting. There's a lot of crazy spreads, crazy over-unders, mm-hmm. stuff to keep up with there.
0: Mm-hmm yeah, and no, but I mean, it's been so cool to see that you've done so much between writing all the articles on our like Michigan Football analytics site and building this shiny app out that people can go to and and play around with like what do you kind of have next in store? are you gonna you know as as the season progresses, are you just gonna kind of check like what you worked on this summer? Or are you thinking of adding anything else?
2: yeah, it's it's definitely a lot to keep up with now that uh, school's in session, but um, I'm definitely looking forward to you know starting up some stuff with a big data bowl. Um, and then you know, keeping up with uh everything uh with the betting models, you know, putting out all that content um, i haven't I haven't really thought too much about my next projects, but uh definitely gonna keep the website going, hoping to you know add some add some different you know visuals and maybe even go into some different sports, so we'll see. Um, but yeah, really just keeping up with, with what I've built and everything so far.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the different sports. So like, this last question before you go here, like yeah. what, how is that working, you know, with, with the, the hockey team, like the Michigan hockey team and, you know, being, you know, having an EPL model for, for the premier league mm-hmm. helped you kind of like with your understanding of football in general, and, and also working with football data. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely
2: uh, any any experience or, or any exposure to, to sports and data science helps. So all the work that I've done with with hockey and and you know helping stra- uh, strategize and, and do player analysis, you know the a lot of the ideas and methodologies uh, translate very well, um, and you know you you get ideas with from other sports. You know, I, I read a lot of articles on on baseball analytics, and and a lot of that, you know, influences me and inspires me to, to write articles for the NFL. So, um, it really all translates. You know, just just having that exposure is is really key, and um, in, in gaining more experience that way it re- really helps. You know, grow my portfolio and skill set that way. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, Sam, this, this has been great. Really loved having you on as always. And, you know, we always chat football outside of this podcast. So I'm sure we're going to keep doing that for our listeners. Make sure to go check out Sam on Twitter at Analyticist. And if you go to our uh, Michigan Football Analytics Society website, I mean, he pretty much writes 90% of the articles. So make sure to go check him out there. Um, but, yeah, this was a really fun episode. Really wanted to thank everyone for tuning in. Until next time, I'll take the points.